Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome. I think, hope your summer has been going well so far. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is James. I'm the associate pastor here. Now, uh, it was about nine years ago that Shannon, my wife, and I moved to Halifax. And when we moved here at that time, she worked at the brick furniture store. And this was when the brick was above Old Navy and Michaels and Bears Lake. Now, one night she came home, uh, it was, got home around 9.30, and she came upstairs to our apartment and she said to me, something happened to the car, and those are words you always love to hear, and, and so I go, okay, what? And she said, well, I, I came outside and, and there was a card against the car and, and, and there's a mark, but you can just look at it in the morning. Now, I knew I was not going to sleep if I did not go look at this, and so I just went downstairs and I, I'm walking up to the car, and I'm expecting to see, like, a scratch. Um, but, but as I'm getting closer, I, I just see a dent. And it's like, it draws the eye. This is not going to buff out. It's about two and a half inches long and half an inch deep. And so this, like, kind of exceeded what I was expecting. So I go upstairs, I'm like, tell me exactly um, what happened, what you saw when you got there. And she said, well, when I came out, there was an orange Home Depot car pressed against the car, and, or cart against the car, and uh, there was just this, this mark on it. And I'm just getting angry, just angrier and angrier, not at, not at her, but just at the situation, because this is, this is my first car, and you, you love your first car. And so um, I'm going like, well, what happened? And then she's like, I don't know. And I'm going, well, somebody obviously knows they did this. Because like this dent, you'd, you'd have to use force to put the dent in. It was either done deliberately or somebody backed into the cart, and they know they hit the car. There's no way you couldn't know. So I'm just getting more and more angry and worked up. Now Shannon goes, well, you don't know. Maybe it was in the parking lot, and the wind took it, and it, it sailed across the parking lot and hit the car. And I said, I'm still angry because some moron took the cart from Home Depot two and a half kilometers all the way up to Old Navy and just ditched it there. And so I'm mad at somebody. And, and so, like, it... It, it took me a while to get over that. We never found out who was responsible. There was no note left. And I, I calmed down, took it to the garage to get it fixed, got angry again because it was ridiculous how much it cost to get that, that two and a half inch dent taken out of the car. So I, I just traded the car in and got rid of it. I just couldn't live with it. Um, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not, th- I'm not that bad. But uh, who here has ever gotten angry before? Hands up. All right. Thank you for your honesty. For the rest of you who didn't put up your hands, you're, you're probably lying, so I'm going to pray for you. Um, but anger is one of those things we know that is not a great personality uh, trait. Uh, if, if you know somebody's in a bad mood, they're angry. You, you, you avoid them. Like, think about it this way. There's no employers out there trying to fill a position saying this, the candidate for the position must be an angry person. Like, they must fly off the handle at the smallest thing. If you were ever looking for a soulmate, a spouse, one of the things you were looking for was not somebody who was full of rage. You just don't really find that attractive. And so anger, it really isn't looked at as a redeeming quality in a person's life. And so this is why we have things like anger management. This is why there are these methods and different things that you can um, cope with anger and kind of tame it. Now, if you're a Christian... Um, maybe, and you, and you know you, you struggle with anger, 
Maybe you've gone to the back of your Bible, to the concordance, and you're going, okay, what does God say about anger? Maybe, maybe you want to know. Maybe you're hoping for a, a, a kind of a silver bullet, magic verse that's just going to rid your life of anger. I'll just tell you, um, that verse does not exist, but one verse that does tend to come up a lot when we talk about anger is James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And this is where we're going to be most of the morning. But James, he says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Um, So a lot of the time, people will see these verses on anger and kind of pull them out and go, okay, here is a process to deal with anger. Step one, uh, listen well. Hear, hear what the person is saying if they're saying something to you or, or read the situation right and make sure you're not overreacting. Step two, um, don't, don't rush to, to speak or say anything. Hold your tongue. Step three, don't get angry. Um, and, and sometimes we, we can treat these verses as if they're a prescription of how to deal with anger through our own efforts. I mean, if you read them just like that, it can seem like good advice. But my question is, does that work? Is, is this all that, that James is saying? Oh, man, whenever we preach on James, I feel like I'm talking about myself in the third person. It messes with me. Um, from now on, when I say James, we're, we're going with James, not James. Um, but because my, my question is, does, does behavior modification through our own efforts fit with the rest of scripture. And it it doesn't. And so we have to understand these verses in their context. And so this is a letter. James wrote a letter to the church, the churches. And so what is stated earlier on in the letter affects what comes later on. Kind of like when you receive a text message or an email from somebody, you don't start midway through because you need to know what comes up here in order to understand what comes later. And so James says in verses 2 and 3, and Greg covered this a few weeks ago, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And this is one of the main themes in the book of James, is troubles, uh, trials, testing. Now James knows that our, our default response to these troubles, these trials, these tests, is not usually... Uh, happiness. It's, it's not going like, this is awesome. I, I'm so glad I get, get to go through this difficult time in life, this horrible season. I want some more. Like our response usually is to get angry or, or something similar to anger. And so when things don't go our way, often our default setting is to get angry about it. Somebody, somebody cuts you off in traffic. You, you get angry. Somebody's driving slower than the speed limit, and you've got a place to be. You're not happy about it. My wife just laughed because <laughs> when I use driving illustrations, it's like, no, I'm talking to me. Um, maybe you're in line at the grocery store, and the person has a full cart in front of you, and they're talking to the cashier about every item. Maybe you tell your kid to pick up their Legos four times. They don't. Then you step on one, and you're in a blind rage. Maybe... Maybe somebody at work gets a promotion that you think you deserved. Maybe somebody received an award that you were actually more deserving of. Maybe you get laid off. Maybe you get a diagnosis that just doesn't seem fair because you, 
You took care of yourself. You, you were treating your body well. And our, our default response to these things is often anger. But James asks this question, what good ever comes out of human anger? And in these situations where you feel wronged or cheated or oppressed, what good actually comes out of that anger? Has that anger led you to love God or to love other people better? And it probably hasn't. Now, Kerry Newhoff, he's a pastor up in Ontario, but he says this, when you're angry, what seems awesome in the moment usually seems awful moments later. And so when we're angry, we tend to cross lines that should never be crossed. We get angry and we, we fire off that reply email or text and we immediately regret it. Somebody says something to us, we get angry, we, we say something that we wouldn't normally say or we do something we shouldn't do. And so anger, it has this way of, of blinding us. Anger can make us reckless, foolish, and unloving. And anger just gets in the way of, of what God desires for us. If you look at a person who's often angry, like angry a lot of the time, they don't tend to have good relationships with people. When Christians are angry people, we, we hurt our credibility. It affects our witness. And how, how we respond to these, these trials, these tests, these troubles that James is talking about in the letter, um, it has an effect not just on us, but on other people because they're watching. And is your response to these things pushing people um, towards God or further away from God? Is it pushing them towards Christ or is it pushing them further away from Christ? And think of it like this. Maybe you, you go to a restaurant and you're having a meal um, or you haven't ordered yet, but somebody at another table, they receive their meal, they start eating and they go, this is disgusting. Uh, the meat is burnt, the potatoes are dry, and I don't even know what this vegetable is, but it doesn't taste very good. And they're complaining about their meal and you overhear them saying this. And so the waiter comes to take your order. You don't go, I want what they're having. <laughs> like that, that sounds awesome. You, you, you don't do that. You, you avoid whatever it is they're eating based off of their behavior. And in the same way, nobody looks at an angry Christian and goes, you know what, I want what it is they have. What is it that makes that person such a delightful person? <laughs> like, what gives them that, that, that joy and everything they've got in their life? Nobody, nobody does that with an angry person. And so you have to ask yourself, is, is the way you live saying to the world that joy in Christ is dependent on the, the situation and the circumstances? Or is your life saying to the world, you know what, regardless of, of the circumstances, I've got joy, I've got hope. If we're always angry about life, it hurts our witness. And, and constant anger, it's, it's a sign that something's not right in our life. Now somebody might go, well, I can get angry, Jesus got angry. But Jesus got angry about the right things in the right way. Jesus got angry about um, improper worship. Jesus got angry about hypocrisy in spiritual leaders. When we get angry, we get angry about the wrong things in the wrong way. We get angry when our pride or maybe um, just selfishness is involved. And so James, is he saying here, just stop being angry? I'm going to get in trouble for this one. Um, but have you been, if, if, if you're married, you know that does not work. You're, you're in the middle of an argument, and they're getting worked up. And you go, just calm down. 
That does not work. That's what you say if you want to make the person angrier. A little um, marriage advice if you haven't been married yet. Don't say that. Uh, it's not worth it. But, but James actually, he, he points out what is often the cause of our anger. He's, he's not saying just, just try harder not to be an angry person because we don't, we don't fake change. We want real change. And so in verse 21, James says this, Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Now, now James says filth and evil are often the source of our anger, that everything that you allow into your life is either pushing you um, towards what God wants you to be or further away from what God desires for you. And so the music you listen to, the, the books you read, the shows you watch, the movies you take in, the articles, um, the, the, even the, the, the thoughts you entertain and the people you spend time with, all of that is, is shaping you. All of that is making you into who you are. And I'm not saying don't watch TV, don't listen to music, don't read books, don't go to movies. I'm not saying that. But I'm asking you to examine kind of what is the primary message of the content that is pouring into your life because you are being shaped by that. Now James says to be quick to listen in verse 19. And he's not just throwing out some general advice to be a good listener. He is saying to, to be quick to listen to something specific. What is it? Verse 18, it talks about God's word. Verse 21 tells us to humbly accept God's word. And sandwiched in the middle of 18 and 21 are verses 19 and 20. And so James is saying, be quick to listen to God's word. And knowing he's saying, be like he's talking about God's word in verse uh, 19, that changes how you understand the rest of 19. Be quick to listen to God's word. Don't, um, don't say anything too quickly or rush to respond what it says or to what it says. And don't get angry about it either. But instead, humbly accept what God's word says. Why do we have to humbly accept what it says? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so the Bible when you read it, it's going to reveal, it's going to convict, it's going to transform how I understand myself and the world that I live in. The Bible, in the Bible, God's going to teach me. He's going to rebuke me. He's going to change me. I will not like everything I read about me in the Bible. The Bible will tell me I am not in charge. The Bible does not tell me, you know what, I'm awesome, don't ever change. The Bible pushes, convicts, directs, demands things of me. It is not always a feel-good book. And it's not its purpose. The purpose of the Bible, it reveals who God is, what God has done, but also reveals what God is, is, is doing, how God is trying to shape me into the image of Christ. And so when we're listening to God's word, we're reading it, we have to listen rightly. We don't let our, our pride thinking, you know what, um, I know better. Our self-justification thinking, you know what, I'm not all that bad. 
our busyness saying, I don't have time for this, our fear going, I don't want to know what this says. We don't let any of that get in the way of what God is saying to us. And so James is essentially implying that what goes into us is, is, is what comes out. It affects that, especially in those times of pressure. And so in those difficult trials, temptations, troubles of life, what is on the inside is usually what comes out. Now, I've got a little bit of an illustration for you. Some people ask for props. You got one today. Um, imagine this, this cup is representative of my life. And this red sand, it's, it's, it's the, the, the filth, the evil that James is talking about in here. And I, I'm just, through different things, I'm just filling my life with filth, with evil, these things that don't push me towards God, righteousness, the things that God desires. Now, earlier in his letter, James says when trials and temptations come, not if, but when they come, and they put pressure on me, they start to knock me around, what's going to come out of my life when that happens? Whatever it is, I have put in the cup, into my life. And so that's going to start pouring out in those difficult times. Should I expect anything else to really come out of my life if I have just put the stuff that does not please God into it? No. Like, that, that wouldn't make sense. Now, we have to understand, when we go through these trials, these temptations, these difficult times in life, people watch how we respond, especially if we, we claim to be a Christian. They're, they're watching. How are you going to respond? And when this stuff's coming out, what is that saying about God, about the, the difference he has made in my life? It's not, it's not that great. Now, Psalm 119, 103 it says that God's word is sweeter than honey. And so if I'm filling my life with God's word and the things that push me towards righteousness, I should have bought two bottles, the things that please God. Imagine this is, honey is expensive. Go with me on this. It's rare. But I'm filling my life with that. And, and difficulties and trials, when they come, what's most likely going to come out of my life? what I've filled my life with. What would I expect anything different? And so when people see that coming out of my life, even in those difficult times, is that going to push them towards God or further away from him? And we have to understand that as, as just because I call myself a Christian, just because I'm, I'm a disciple, just because I got baptized, that does not mean in those difficult times of life good things, pleasing things to God is automatically going to come out. What, what I have put into my life is, is most likely what is going to come out of my life. And so what goes into a disciple is what comes out of the disciple. Now, James knows we're good at listening and nodding in approval, but we struggle with the doing. Information alone does not cause transformation. It's informa- application of information that leads to transformation And so James gets at that in verses 22 through 25. He says, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And so listening to the right stuff's actually only beneficial when you do what it says. We learn by putting what we hear into practice. 
Now think about it this way. You, you have a kid, they come inside, they've been playing in the dirt, bugs, worms, salamanders, all of that stuff, you're about to eat dinner. And so you say to them, go wash your hands for dinner. And they go into the bathroom, you hear the water run, but they come out like eight seconds later, their hands are wet. But and you go like, are your hands clean? And they're like, yeah, they are. And you're like, nah, um, you got to go back in there. I want you to say the alphabet. I want you to count to 30 as you do that. Use soap and water. You got to be specific about that one. They might go, I touched the soap. Yeah, you touched it. You didn't use it. You didn't work it in. And so proximity to soap is not what makes you clean. It's, it's working with the soap. It's, it's rubbing it in. In the same way, proximity to God's word is not enough to change you. Just coming to church or or reading the Bible and hearing God's word, it's not going to make you more like Jesus. You have to apply the word of God. So James gives an example of a person. They they look at their face in a mirror and they go, looking good. (laughs) They look at their face in the mirror and they see flaws. They see spinach in their teeth. There's food all over their face. Their hair is out of place. And, and, and he imagines this person looks in the mirror. They see all these flaws, these things that need to be corrected. But instead, they just go and, and walk away. They don't make any changes. He goes, that's ridiculous. Nobody would ever do that. And so when we look into God's word, it shows us the way things it shows us what God wants, the way things to be. It shows us what God intends. It gives us a proper perspective of ourselves and our world. The Bible, it reveals flaws and mistakes in our own lives. And as we talked about earlier, God's word will push, it will direct, it will convict, it will demand things of you as it shapes you into the image of Christ. And so when we look into the image of God's word, we should see flaws within our own lives. And through God's help, we fix those flaws. We, we fix the flaw. We return to the mirror of God's word. We see another flaw. We fix it. And so as disciples, we're always studying. We're always examining our lives. We're always fixing them. Now, God's word, it shows us what we're to look like as disciples. And none of us are going to be surprised by this, but none of us are nailing it. Like, we're, we're not going to open the Bible one day and go, looks, okay, it looks like I'm done. Like, it looks like I've nailed it. We're, we're good. No, you're going to go back and you're going to be seeing things over and over. I've been a Christian for about 18 years now. And when I first became a Christian, I had looked in God's word. I could see some things in my life that did not line up with what God wanted. They were pretty obvious. And so through, through perseverance, through God's power, I was able to address, to fix those things. And, and you go like, oh, that was the biggest glaring issue. Now that I've got that tackled, I'm going to be pretty good. Only to discover behind that problem was another problem hiding. You're like, oh, I'll fix that one. Then I'll be pretty good. And you address it. And then it's like, oh, there's another thing I was totally blind to. And, and you, you set off and fix that. And then all of a sudden you look back and something you thought that you had dealt with rears its ugly head again. And you have to go and deal with that. My point is, as Christians, we don't arrive to perfection on this side of eternity. We don't arrive, but Christ will arrive for us. And when he returns, he will perfect us. He will do all those things that God said he's going 
to do. But until that time, we're always going to have work to do. And so nobody, I, I love this Charles Spurgeon quote, it says, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. And I want to say something, I think that's important. Verses 19 and 21, they, they call us to listen rightly to God's word. And, and listening can come through um, reading God's word, through, through reading articles about God's word. It can come through preaching, through teaching, through life group discussions, so many different ways. But, but it's important that we listen to all of God's word, the, the whole counsel of God's word, everything God has to say. And if we're only listening um, or reading those parts of the Bible that we like, that make us feel good. If we're only listening to um, teachers, preachers that, that, that don't convict us, I think we need to be careful. Because the Bible's primary message is not, you know what, you are awesome. Never change. God, God loves you. It, it, no, it's, it's God loves you. you. You are a sinner. You have some flaws in your life. But God has sent a Savior, and there is hope. And through God's power, you can change. That is the primary message of Scripture. And so when we read God's Word, there's going to be discomfort as we see that we're not all that God wants us to be. Now, Jesus gives this advice in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And if you've ever thought, you know what, Christianity doesn't work. I come to church, I read the Bible, nothing is changing. Be honest with yourself. Have you just heard the word and not done anything with it? Because if, if you haven't done it, why would you expect to change? The problem is not that, that Christianity doesn't work. The problem is that you're not willing to do the work. You're not willing to put it in. And so when you listen rightly and learn rightly, it leads to change. You will live rightly. Verses 26 and 27. James says, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And James's point here is that if, you, if you're claiming to be a Christian, a disciple, but your, your speech, your actions, your life in general do not conform to what Scripture says pleases God, something is off. And a lot of people, he says, have deceived themselves about their faith. Um, they're claiming to be something that they are not. Jesus would say it this way, you can recognize a person by their fruit, what comes out of their life. And so if I've rightly applied God's word, my life is not going to be marked by an uncontrolled tongue, an uncontrolled temper, values and beliefs that are no different from a non-believer. 
God's word at work in me through the power of the Holy Spirit, it it should um, cause and create this love for God and a love for other people. And especially a love when it says widows and orphans in their distress. It's talking about those people in our society, our culture, who are overlooked. That that I, I should have a love for them. And so, my actions essentially will push people towards God, not away from him. Leading up to Father's Day, um, we, we were getting all these flyers in the mail trying to get us to get Father's Day gifts. And uh, my wife, Shannon, would, was saying that my son, Seth, was at the kitchen table with a Swiss chalet flyer. And it, he just finished grade one, so he's in that process of, of reading, sounding things out. And so she said he found the Swiss chalet flyer, and she can hear him sounding it out at the table. And so eventually he, he sounds out the message and it says, a Swiss chalet gift card makes a great gift for dad. And so he, he reads it and, and he puts it together. He understands the message. He runs into the kitchen to uh, Shannon and he says, we have to go to Swiss Chalet and get this gift card because it makes a great gift for dad. This is what dad is going to want for Father's Day. Um, but Seth read it, he understood it, and he acted on it. And whether we realize it or not, everything that we are taking into our lives is affecting us in some way. Our actions, our attitudes are being shaped by it. And so right listening and right learning lead to right living. And so this week, I want to challenge you. Take some time to look at what you're listening to. Write it down See what so you can actually see what, what is speaking into your life. What shows are you watching? Music are you listening to? Company are you keeping? Books are you reading? Thoughts are you entertaining? Honestly, look at what is speaking the most and the loudest into your life. Um, and make changes if necessary. If, we are, if we're calling ourselves a disciple, God's word should speak the loudest into our life. But don't just hear God's word, do it. And, and when you read, ask, how does this apply to me? How do I change my life in relation to it? Um, and a few months ago, we did a series on, on reading God's word. There are, there are postcards out in the uh, Welcome Center that give you some questions of how to kind of rightly apply Uh, scripture to your life to to help you understand it. But if you don't allow God's word to speak the most in your life, you're going to be conformed to the image of whatever is speaking the loudest into your life. And that is what is going to come out of your life in those times of pressure. But if God's word is speaking loudly into your life, regardless of the circumstances, things that please God are most likely to come out. And so what we put into our life is what is going to come out of our life. Let's pray.